Paceline is produced by The Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at The Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Hey, dude. You are sick. <sighs> well spotted. And I'm cheerful. Um, I'm cheerful. How is this going to go? <laughs> uh, I, I, th- I think the technical term is zero sum. <laughs> well, I, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we, we will. We will know uh, more soon, as I am fond of saying. We will know more soon. Yes. For those of you listeners who have children who have just gotten out of school, and maybe you've shuttled them off to some camp so that they're not in your way, uh, just beware that they may bring back uh, foreign um, bodies to your home, which will infiltrate your sinuses or other parts of you. And leave you in a despairing malaise like my friend Patrick. Um, and worth noting, going to day camp is a different population of kids than going to school. Yeah. <sighs> this has been your junior immunology lesson for today. <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to jump right in. Today, I want to beat a different drum. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Historically, I've been critical of the bike industry for virtually everything, for the too fast pace of innovation, for the narrow approach to that innovation, kind of for everything, because I'm a judgmental cynic. I hope I prove myself willing to admit when I'm wrong, which is often, (laughs) uh, but the fact remains that I start from a place of skepticism and I often finish there too. Mm. So today, I want to praise the bike industry for the simple fact that year after year and decade after decade, the bike continues to rise. The bike continues to present itself as a solution for some of our most pressing problems. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is no small thing. (laughs) Nope. Yeah. One of the trends I have been most distrustful of is the rush to e-bikes. I think my lack of trust stems from personal insecurity. I worry that once people don't have to pedal, they won't. And so like the move to e-books, I'm scared that the electronic version will make the manual version, the version I love the very best, go away. Hmm. This is not a a reason to denigrate or object to Mm e-bikes, which... I think are proving themselves to be uh, the next wave in the rise of the bike. It's a, it's a whole new thing. Yeah. Yeah. E-bikes may yet turn out to be a solution to personal mobility that actually puts a dent in our collective carbon footprint. E-bikes might be the thing non-cyclists need to become cyclists. 
At any rate, it's exciting to see how, time and again, the bike is a possible answer. And bikes get better and better. Hydraulic brakes work better. Electronic shifting works better. The predecessors of those technologies also work well. It's not a case of this is better, so that one is terrible. That's not the case at all. They don't need to be abandoned, the older technologies, but that doesn't mean bikes aren't getting better. They are. And think about what the bike competes against. For decades, our government has subsidized petroleum companies, bailed out automakers, Mm -hmm. crafted tax deals to keep auto plants functioning, and invested trillions in auto infrastructure. Yep. Even now, you can get a tax rebate for buying an electric car, but not for buying a pedal bike. But which which of those is the more efficient vehicle? (laughs) Right? All the while, the bike rolls on, carrying millions of people through their lives. Bike companies go on doing what they do for profit. I don't know. Maybe some of them. But the vast majority of people in our industry are in it because they love it. Is that true in other sectors? I have my doubts. Uh, I love bikes and I love our industry, despite being a constant critic. The good news is that my bikes don't care what I think. They're immune to my opinions. They just take whatever it is that I'm willing to put into riding a bike and give back, give it back to me with interest. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That works. <laughs> How is that for positive positivity? Um, it, it, it's, it's good. It's good. All right. You know, um, it's certainly m- uh, more upbeat, um, and accepting than, uh, many perspectives we hear from other folks. I don't really understand the opposition to e-bikes. Um, I completely get how people don't like being passed on a hill by someone on an e-bike. And I am a hundred percent with everyone who doesn't like the lack of etiquette that some e-bike riders, uh, display due to their inexperience. You know, going 15 miles an hour and having somebody pass you at 25 miles an hour when they're two feet away, I think it's going to upset most everybody. I, you know, I can't, I can't imagine there are too many people who are going to say, oh, that was awesome. Let's do more of that, please. Yes. Right. Uh, As to technical innovation. So back in 1992, I think it was, uh, Shimano came out with their first integrated controller, as they say, or as the Brits like to say, brifters, STI. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, come on. I know how to reach down from my handlebar and grab this little lever and give it a little tweak. I don't need this kind of help. Well, when I really started riding integrated control levers, uh, I realized that I had been... uh, not just dead wrong, but like decaying wrong. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was as wrong as wrong gets. They're wonderful. And I don't want to go back to down tube shift levers. Yeah. I mean, this is why I think when I, when I was talking about e-bikes a minute ago, I wanted to own that it comes from a place of insecurity, you know, Mm -hmm. for people who've been doing a thing a long time, we, we tend to think of ourselves as experts. And so anything that we didn't think of, or that maybe, 
even even tangentially contradicts the way we do things we get you know insecure about and we have reactions to i don't need that i don't whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and you know in strictest terms you don't need th- these things we don't need electronic shifting nope nope uh met uh mechanical shifting works just fine that does not have, but mechanical shifting working just fine means nothing about electronic shifting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to, to get back to my point is, you know, once I'd had a chance to really ride with this stuff and then, you know, found out like, oh, I can break and downshift in a turn and a criterion so that I come out of the turn in the right gear. Um, because back then I was still racing cat fours and we would break in turns often about halfway through the turn itself, which is pretty much the worst time to break, uh, technique aside. Uh, yeah, I, so I've, I've learned that there, that these technical innovations that we sometimes question do almost invariably make my experience on the bike better. So I've learned to shut up. The one time that I didn't bite my tongue was when there was the advent of disc brakes on road bikes. And I was coming up with all of these, uh, they weren't straw man arguments, but I was, I was concerned that like, you know, forks were going to get it too stiff as a result and frames weren't going to have the right sort of feel as a result. And I remember Brent Graves, who was the head of road product management at Specialized at the time, looked at me and said, it's an engineering problem. Well, this is that's right. I think with a lot of these innovations, um, the first iteration isn't right or it's not all the way right. Yeah. But yeah. none of this is static. It's all uh, we're all waiting for jello, the jello on the plate to stop shaking um, before we eat it. Uh, some people are willing to eat the moving jello, uh, you know, they, they buy the first iteration and that's great. But yeah, I think over time, and this is, there's a, the same analogy applies to e-bike etiquette. So on the engineering side, did, did frames and forks get stiff, too stiff for a little stretch, maybe a season? Yeah, probably. Um, how to measure that, I don't really know. But the fact is that uh, th- there are constant, constant adjustments. It's all an iterative process, Totes. right? And the things the things that aren't worth it, um, oval, oval chain ring springs to mind, um, <laughs> they, don't, they don't last. They will come back. Yep. You know, zombie <laughs> ideas continue to lurch forward. Yep, but, yep. Um, but they don't get picked up. They don't get adopted. They don't get iterated. Um, and it's the same thing, I think, with e-bike etiquette. Like right now, there are more e-bikes than there are people who understand how to ride an e-bike within the guidelines of the social contract. <laughs> but that will evolve. That also will evolve. Yeah. Um, and it will evolve because rules will get made and enforced, and it will also evolve because so you know subtle social pressure will come to bear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, the and big thing for not me, subtle social pressure will come to bear. <laughs> Given some of the things that I've heard people say, um, yeah, yeah, sometimes not so subtle. 
the thing that I keep coming back to with the e-bike experience that I, I wish more people could see is, you know, every time somebody goes, when someone passes them on an e-bike, even if they're doing it politely and at a reasonable pace or whatever, people grumble about getting passed by an e-bike. Well, I got news for all of us. That's what the hikers are doing when we're out mountain biking or the runners and joggers are doing when we pass them on our road bike. Uh, we're, we're simply getting say, served up the same dish that they've all been complaining about uh, and get off my lawn too. Um, <laughs> I, and so the thing that I look at is that, you know, if we're really all about freedom and I, I hear that word tossed about a whole lot right now in politics and elsewhere. If we're really about freedom, we should be looking at other people who are on a two-wheeled contraption going, awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't mind being passed. I don't, I, you know, there are times and places. A friend of mine just bought an e-bike and she was concerned about, you know, it, it will do 28 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. And she was concerned about... Um, how that was going to be perceived. And I said, well, if you're on the multi-use path and you and you're at 28 miles per hour, you're doing it wrong. But if you are in traffic and you're doing it, what? OK, that's what that, you know, whatever. Um, and we in many places, we actually have laws that tell you what to do when you're on a pedelec. Yeah, right. <laughs> we have guidance. Yeah. yeah. I don't feel any more resentful of someone passing me on an e-bike than I have of someone passing me on uh, any bike. <laughs> it all it all accrues to the same sort of like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what I've noticed is that, you know, anytime someone passes me, even roadies going in the other direction, if you can't smile or, or wave or, or do something to acknowledge my presence, I've got the same net. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. The. The one other thing I want to add here uh, that hopefully our listeners will give some thought to is, you know, as as preserving wild spaces gets harder and harder to do, um, we're going to need an ever larger population of people who are going into those wild places and experiencing them and valuing them. Uh, I think uh, what will soon not be the Ottoman Society, but something else and the Sierra Club and, you know, all these outdoor uh, oriented organizations. I hope at some point that they get their heads wrapped around the fact that, like, you know, look, if they don't unite with cyclists and uh, see us as an ally to keeping wild places wild, uh, it's going to be harder to do that. We're going to need the biggest possible population, a huge union of different user groups going, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't need them all there. <laughs> right. So, right. That's, that's the big thing that I, you know, every time the, the whole e-bike issue comes up, uh, and very often, you know, the people grumbling the worst about e-bikes are mountain bikers, um, who were passed by somebody a foot and a half way doing 20 miles an hour uphill. And I, I, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd have been grumbling too, but I want them out there. Yeah. 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 I, I think you're, I think you're right. I think we have to identify our allies, even uh, if we don't share all of the same views. Yeah. 
I, and I, you know, this isn't an enemy of my enemy is my friend. Because uh, I don't, no, no. I don't want to get into the notion of enemies or anything silly like that. It's not so extreme as that. It's like, look, we we have people who love these places just like we do. Um, and it's interesting that that whole pacing of being a hiker or runner or cyclist or e-biker uh, should come up in your poll because after we take this little break, uh, it'll be coming up again in a slightly different form in mine. Excellent. Well, why don't we take a break now and we'll, we'll find out, uh, what else, what else we think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. The Paceline is underwritten by Shimano North America. That means they help us pay for software and hosting and the M&Ms in our dressing rooms. Shimano are also nice enough to let us talk about them in our own voices and from our own experiences. For example, I did a lot of research on Shimano road wheels when I was putting together complete bike packages when I was at 7 Cycles. We turn to Shimano wheels because they're rock solid, affordable, and readily available. The wheel market is full of fantastic options. Shimano's wheels often fly under the radar. You should really check them out. They have killer carbon fiber wheels at the 105 level now, the C32 and C46. And of course, if you're shooting for the stars, you can get the C36 and C50 at Altegra and Dura Ace levels. See them all at road.shimano.com. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Let's get to it. Well, uh, John has a new, uh, our our John in Michigan has a, a new title a, a new honorific he's now producer at large i love yeah. it i hope he likes it i'm sure uh, he'll let yes. me know so he, i should say yeah. i should say before you go any further that um john has furnished us with a number of topic ideas uh his last note to me uh was great i replied to it google doesn't want to deliver any of my messages to you john um but know that you're loved and appreciated <laughs> yay boo yay yeah. Yes. So he asked, why does a bike seem to be just the right speed to facilitate a deeper level of comprehension of the world? Cars are too fast. Sometimes a kid in the backseat will look up from a phone. Uh, I'm adding here a tablet because that's my kids and say, oh, we're here. Um, and walking is good, but limits our range. The bike is like Goldilocks. Not too fast, not too slow, but gives. I love this question. As it happens, I took a look uh, at it in the second column I ever wrote for Bicycle Guide. We're talking 1996, okay? Um, Mm -hmm. My view has evolved since then. So in 96, I suggested that it was the right pace at which to appreciate the world. Uh, A cyclist has the ability to experience the world and its contours at a rate that allows a picture of an environment to emerge. I don't want to say it doesn't happen when you're in a car or truck, but the passenger in a vehicle is insulated in a way that doesn't allow the experience to be visceral. That said, uh, I know drivers who would argue that pulling half a G in a turn is plenty visceral. Um, but my answer to that is that, you know, much of what is communicated has to do with the car's engine, the suspension and the tires, Um, you know, it's less about the actual landscape. Um, and as John notes at a walking pace, we can't cover much territory. 
or if we do, we cover it at such a slow pace, it's hard to form a coherent picture. Um, again, that's a, that's a statement that I know reasonable people could disagree with. Um, cycling, whether we are road cycling, mountain biking, or gravel riding, gives us a more immediate and, I think, richer experience of a landscape. And yes, the difference between mountain biking and road riding is significant, but I believe they do the same thing, even though they approach a landscape on a different scale. Um, now, I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here. Uh, this isn't quite what he was asking about, but I'll say this is the sort of stuff that I think about when I'm riding, <laughs> when it's just me and me. Seriously, it's weird in here with me. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to own that. <laughs> Now, having said that, one thing I've thought a lot about is how trails and roads have in common the fact that they are prepared surfaces. Uh, we could easily also include uh, ski runs, whether Nordic or Alpine. To ride a road, whether gravel or asphalt, or to ride a trail, is to ride on land that we have altered to suit our purpose. And one of the things I've considered is whether our changing the landscape makes our experience of the land less accurate less legitimate, less honest. I came down on the side of the positive, um, which is kind of my want. I love how a flow trail takes in the contours of the land. Uh, switchbacks, whether paved or dirt, are a measure of the possible. I.e., if you were trying to ride up that thing that's got switchbacks on the fall line, you wouldn't be riding it. This is, right. our, this is our ability to get up that landscape. Um, returning to the bigger picture and John's question, I no longer see cycling as the right pace. It's the right pace for me and it's the right pace for many of us. I would hazard a guess to say everyone listening currently <laughs> <laughs> sort of, sort of cherry picked audience, but you know, okay. Uh, good morning, target market. <laughs> <laughs> Please open ears for message. Go on. Yeah. But these days, I like to grant that for some people, the bike is too fast. It's too stimulating. Hikers and runners like their pace. And it would be arrogant of me to dismiss something that brings them a pleasure that I cannot claim is less than mine. Um, the same can be said of people who ride motorcycles or like to go for long drives. It's a pace that works for them. And... I simply don't want to be the person who's saying, no, their experience isn't as good as ours. I think this is something that's just related to how we're all wired uh, and that cyclists get on a bike and we go, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. You know, and the pace is just right to carbonate our brains. And, you know, that's <laughs> it. So. Like I mentioned earlier, I think cycling shares in common with skiing, both Nordic and Alpine as well as skateboarding, motorcycles, and a few other activities, the fact that they are particularly well-suited to the pace required to induce flow. That's ultimately the answer. We love, bleh. we love cycling because it brings us flow. Cyclists are cyclists because cycling is the right pace for them to reach flow. I buy that I think implicit in this, you, you made a reference to the race car driver at, you know, experiencing G's in a turn. Mm -hmm. And 
And the ability to enjoy that comes from their facility with the car. Mm -hmm. I can't have that experience in the car. If I if if the G's build up in the car that I'm driving, I'm like, something is wrong. Uh (laughs) Yeah. This this is not good. Um, and I would say that being able to enjoy a mountain bike trail is uh, dependent on being able to forget that you're piloting the bike, which is, of course, where it tips mm-hmm. over into flow. Right. Um, so yep. you're able to experience the trail at that speed because you've already kind of mastered on some level the handling of the bike. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, and, and this, you know, sort of wraps back into why it's just the right pace for us. We, we have mastered the bike so that the speed we're traveling at doesn't trouble us. We're, we're very comfortable on the bike and it allows us to turn our attention to the world. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not universally. I mean, sometimes you're on challenging terrain and that's what you're doing, but in, on other times you're cruising along and you can experience the world because you're not riding the bike. You're just, you happen to be on the bike. Um, the other thing I would <laughs> say is that a lot of this has to do with our natural time scale. So I go mm-hmm. in the woods, maybe I'm walking with my dog or I'm riding a bike and I'm experiencing the woods at a time scale that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas a tree uh, uh, if it's, if it's fair to say that a tree experiences time, um, their experience of time is much slower. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. The, the motions within the tree, all of that stuff happens on a slower scale. In fact, I had a, there was an interesting, um, short story by the writer Ted Chang, uh, about, aliens who come to earth but nothing it's everything here seems to be inert because their time scale is such that even humans don't appear to be moving i'm i'm reminded of jrr tolkien how we experience things i think that's tied into like how fast you move through a landscape on your bike um yeah yeah it does work perfectly for me yeah (laughs) It, that reminds me of J.R.R. Tolkien uh, in The Lord of the Rings and uh, his talking about how slowly the ants spoke and moved. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think is, we're good. Cycling is perfect because we're cyclists, I, th- I think, is the answer. Um. When I started crafting that sentence, I was like, oh, yeah, this this is. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, actually, before we go, one other thing that I'll say that really only just serves as a corollary is how, you know, with flow, there's that uh, that uh, uh, boredom um, challenge uh dynamic uh there's a chart that's that was created and you know if something is too stimulating you know it will make you agitated anxious um and if you've ever seen any video footage of the world rally championship drivers uh from inside their vehicles um that causes me anxiety um 
it's just so yeah. insanely fast, you know, or, or the, the motorcycle racers on the Isle of Wight, um, you know, just insanely fast. I can't, I can't deal with the world at that pace. Um, you know, but yeah, on a hike, if I'm just out walking around, I am bored, silly. So <laughs> again, this points to, yeah, we find that happy medium, that Goldilocks zone, and that's where we hit flow. And that's where the world gets magic. And then we come home happier, better adjusted people. All righty. Uh, Most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> let's move on to pace yes. line picks. Yes. Um, this week I am picking the Shimano Pro Discover Carbon 20 degree handlebar. This is a gravel specific drop bar with a bit of flair to the drops. 20 degrees to be specific. Uh, the idea is you want that wider grip on a gravel bike for better stability on rough surfaces. Uh, it also makes transitioning from the hoods to the drops uh, a little bit easier. I've been riding this bar for nearly three years now, and I really like it. Um, it's got a subtle back sweep to the top section that I like. Um, the ergonomics are really good for me. I don't ride in the drops a ton, uh, but this drop is shallow at 105 millimeters, so that works pretty well. Mm -hmm. The equivalent Envy bar uh, has a 120 millimeter drop, just for comparison's sake. The Pro Discover bars are optimized for internal cable routing and DI2 integration, not mm -hmm. surprisingly. <laughs> um, these uh, and, and most specifically for GRX builds, so that falls perfectly in line with the type of riding I do most of the time. They come in 40 centimeter, 42 centimeter, and 44 centimeter widths. Uh, there is no 38, but again, I think this speaks to like the slightly wider hand position you want on a gravel bike versus a road bike. Uh, this bar is $340 at retail. Um, for Again, for comparison, the equivalent Envy bar is $400. Um, and yes, Shimano sponsors this podcast, uh, but obviously I bought and paid for these uh, handlebars long before that arrangement was made. Uh, I will say if you want a light, stiff gravel bar with good component integration, the pro bars, and in fact, a lot of the pro components are great value for the dollar. They are nutty good. It's not a sexy brand in the way that Envy or some of the others are, I get. Um, but my gosh, all of the pro components I've used are really good. Um, yeah. They are. They are. I find them very neutral. I don't think Shimano kind of goes for the outra for this sort of avant-garde with their components. They're trying to make very middle-of-the-road, reliable, predictable things, and I think they do a great job of it at a great price point. Yeah, I, I mean, they pick the meat of the bell curve, and then they outdo nine of 10 companies who are producing things, you know, in whatever that product range is. Uh, yeah. It's, I, I say this often, it's almost sort of unfair that, you know, Shimano should be so good at doing things that aren't, um, you know, actual components, um, you know, shifters and, and brake calipers and that sort of thing. It, it's just, Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're like a 16 trick pony. <laughs> yeah. 
if only we were so good. What have you got for us? Well, you know, when it comes to drink mixes, gels, and shoes, flavor fatigue is a thing. Uh, And flavor fatigue, I've decided, comes in two forms. There's the kind where it's been such a long day and you've had so much wrapper food uh, and drink mix that the flavor remains in your mouth even when your mouth is hmm, empty. If only wines had such a lingering finish. Uh, Actually, that would probably be bad because I would probably drink more wine. Um, uh, The second kind is the one that comes from, and this is my new added to the lexicon definition. It comes from having had a flavor so many times on rides over a period of time that you can no longer bear to consume it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, And so. Death by lemon lime. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so my pick this week is the new lemonade chew from Goo Energy. Now, I've been a big fan of their products for years. Uh, I've been able to consume their goos and and gels under the hardest efforts and even on hot days. Um, but even I can tire of one of their flavors. I had to give the blueberry pomegranate chews a rest for winter in order to not completely tire of them. I liked it so much and I bought so much of it that it was like, oh, yeah, that's not working this week uh, or this month. Um, But I'm back on them. Uh, The lemonade chews are terrific because they aren't overly sweet. There's just enough flavor and sweetness that if you squeeze three or four of them into your mouth, it doesn't overwhelm the taste buds like a spoonful of cake frosting, though I'm not knocking that. (laughs) There's a time. There's a place. Go on. It's called home. Uh, uh, A package has 90 calories. Uh, In addition to lemonade, they offer the aforementioned blueberry pomegranate, orange, strawberry, which includes caffeine, watermelon, and salted lime. A 12-pack box goes for $30. And, of course, there will be links to both of these products in our show notes. Would you describe that lemonade as tart? Is it tart? No. No. It's, um, yeah, no, it's it's not at all tart or sour. It's just lemony. Huh. It's, it's, you know, lemon is one of those flavors that, you know, just someone, just because someone says lemon, you don't really know what that flavor is because it can be really sweet or really tart or whatever. Um, right. And this one is as, um, gosh, this sort of sounds a little pejorative, but it's as innocuous a lemon as you might encounter. Um, it's, it's just really lovely. I think that's what you want on the bike. I mean, I think p- the biggest problem with the flavors of the things we can, the wrapper foods, the things we consume on the bike is that some of them are just not subtle enough. Like I'm going to be consuming a fair bit of this. You really need to turn the volume down to about four. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it, yeah, it is totally a thing. I mean, it's one of the reasons that scratch labs and Osmo and some of those other drink mixes, you know, are, really so light in flavor. Um, the 3% mix is just what you need for your body so that you, your body will absorb the fluid as quickly as possible. Uh, but the fact that the flavors are on the light side is a reflection of, you know, if you've had eight bottles of that stuff and it's the same flavor all day long, uh, I can tell you which flavor you're not going to want the next day. Sure. (laughs) 
I mean, I've even been in the situation of being thirsty late in a ride or hungry late in the ride and looked at what I had and thought, nope. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I I brushed up against that late in the day at Wente. I made two different feed zone portables for myself. The baked pasta, which I've mentioned in the past. Um, And I went rogue on one of their uh, recipes. Uh, It was a kind of a chocolate blueberry coconut ball thing and i substituted raspberry um for blueberries and um those things were magic but after having had like six of those through the day my my last pit stop i ate a cookie (laughs) i ate a cookie seems very reasonable it was the it was unquestionably the right move Yes. I had a guy who used to work at Bicycling Magazine um, tell me that uh, he ran a hundred mile trail race, ran it. And his strategy was at each of the aid stations to eat three hot dogs. And that in retrospect, that was perhaps not the best plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we may need another term aside from flavor fatigue. Yes. Uh, Wow. Uh, Okay. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts on anything we talked about today in the comments uh, on The Cycling Independent. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We have $3, $5, and $10 options, as well as a tip jar for those who fear commitment. Uh, Your dollars go directly into this podcast, as well as our other productions, like Revolting with John and Stevel, The Long Way Home, uh, The Pull, which I hope to be reviving soon, and our occasional Paceline tandems. Uh, We do need your help to keep doing what we do. Uh, Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Paceline. Line.